This evening I want to explore the nature of the judgmental mind and how we transform the judgmental mind. So a way of knowing more fully, exploring in a little more depth what the judgmental mind is and then looking at the main ways that we transform the judgmental mind. But first, uh, a few quotations. This is from uh, Mark Twain. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. (laughs) Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. Secondly, a, um, someone sent me uh, an advertisement for a new bumper sticker. Non-judgment day is near. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, from, uh, from the 8th century, from the uh, teacher and writer uh, Shantideva, who wrote uh, a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life one of the great texts, uh, Bodhisattva is the one who's dedicated both to inner depth and to helping others. A crazy, untamed elephant in this world cannot inflict such harm as the sufferings of the deepest hell caused by the rampaging elephant of the mind. One of which manifestations of that elephant is the judgmental mind. So I was reflecting that uh, there's still somewhat, something that's uh, a bit surprising for me that I and we are teaching on this theme of the judgmental mind. I certainly didn't ever intend to set out to teach on it. Um, at a certain point in time, probably about 15 or 16 years ago, I was doing a lot of inner work, uh, which I didn't name it at that time, but it was essentially about uh, my own, particularly my own judgments of others and self-judgments. And there was a lot of important inner work, which I'll talk some about uh, a little later in the talk. And some very crucial work, a few years later, I did a two-month retreat. Actually, uh, Heather and I both did that retreat. That's where we actually met each, each other at that retreat, right? Oh, cool? Yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah, about 14, 15 years ago. And there were a lot of judge, self-judgments coming up in that retreat. And there was a further period. Again, I'll, I'll talk more in detail about what was happening, but there was a uh, a lot of sustained work over a few years. This was more in a meditative context. The first context was a little more psychological, um, working with a therapist and, and inquiring in, in that framework. And uh, several years of doing sustained work with judgments. And then at one point, I thought, well, there's a lot of great material. I'll, I'll offer a day long at Spirit Rock. And I did, and I thought it went pretty well. A surprising number of people came, you know, who were interested in the topic. And as I was uh, getting ready to go, um, a number of people, maybe, I don't know, eight or ten people gathered around and said, uh, we want to do more of this. And I said, okay, we'll, um, we'll see who's interested, and I'll have a group of people over for one follow-up session, you know, which we had two or three weeks later. And uh, it seemed to go well. I, I was ready to say bye. <laughs> and they said, we want to meet again. <laughs> and uh, actually, they wanted to meet again. And essentially, I've had monthly groups for the last 11 years on the theme of the judgmental mind. Not the same people who were there originally. <laughs> who, uh, we, we want to offer hope. <laughs> <laughs> hope that, you know, you can 
do a lot in eight or nine years. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> but it's been an unexpected journey and one that's been quite surprising and one that's kept on deepening and going into unexpected places. And over time, been enough material and almost like a curriculum that developed. And at a certain point in the journey, Heather joined me and we started teaching retreats. And she has her own background in that, on that theme very much and her own um, discoveries and uh, her own, I think, uh, developing curriculum. And it's been, it's been fascinating to offer it and to continue to see the, the deepening of that inquiry into what the judgmental mind is and really um, increasing appreciation for how when we follow the trail of judgments, we can go into quite profound uh, transformation. And partly I want to make some sense of why that's the case tonight and to um, particularly talk about uh, what judgments are and what the essence of the process of transformation is that we are offering in this retreat. And then in uh, future talks, we'll expand and go into more detail uh, related to the overview that, that I'm hoping to give this evening. So again, useful initially to give uh, a clear definition of what judgments are and then give, give a number of examples just so we're familiar with what we're exploring uh, and can really know what we're meaning when we talk about judgmental mind and what we're not meaning. So again, as I mentioned last night, I'm using the word judgmental and in that context talking about judgments, when there is some kind of noticing or observation or evaluation that is connected with reactivity or some kind of a charge. And there, it's quite important to see that it's the reactivity which is really problematic, that we can think of a lot of situations where I might notice something, see something, and I could either be reactive or not. Right? I can, for example, I was thinking of the example of um, being a teacher. And I can notice uh, something that needs attention in a person I'm working with. And I can notice that and have that understanding or discernment and not be judgmental at all. And in fact, I think a good teacher needs to really be careful about that uh, aspect of being judgmental because in the teaching context, being judgmental poisons things in no time flat, so to speak, just immediately, right? And we know that, we can, we can sense that, we can sense essentially that there's not care at that moment at least. And even if there's care at other times, a few moments of judgment can really make a teaching situation uh, tenuous, right? And yet um, the judgmental mind in that context might see exactly the same thing, right? The content may be exactly the same, and yet there's the reactivity, right? In that, in that, uh, in that noticing, where I might notice someone behaving in a certain way, which, let's say, at a party, and I might use uh, language that would be very judgmental about that person. I might, and, I, and I might really have a reaction. I might uh, call that person rude or obnoxious and really have an edge or a charge with that person. And I might notice the exact same behavior and really be coming more from a compassionate point of view and want to, in some way, help the person. What I do, that's a matter of, you know, that's a matter of skill and, a lot, and the context and what, what really is going to be useful. But do you see how it's actually not the content 
that determines whether we're judgmental, but it's the reactivity. And that we can have the same content and be either judgmental or not. Now, in being reactive, we're especially in this retreat focusing on aversion, the reactions in which we push away, the negative judgments, the negative evaluations of self or other. But there are, uh, as we would imagine by knowing, if we know uh, Buddhist psychology, the basic modes of reactivity are two. There's the way that we're compulsively aversive and push away, and there are the way that we compulsively grab onto something. And both are reactive. And so there actually are forms of uh, judgmental mind, I think, which are more positive, where we grab onto something, we notice something, we think, look at that, I am such a great meditator. You know, you know. Or my daughter is the glory of her high school class. <laughs> you know. Or in maybe uh, more insidious forms, we may think ourselves better than others, often half-consciously. And I would say those are forms of what we might call more positive judgment. We'll mostly be looking at the negative judgments, but it's important in getting the map of the territory to have a sense that, it, that we're really talking about different forms of reactivity. And we're, again, going to mostly focus on the harsh self-judgments, the harsh judgments of others, because often those are more accessible and also they're more clearly connected with suffering. They're more clearly connected with my own really being hard on myself, being in a kind of a fog of self-hatred or self-judgment or you know, the, the way that judgments of others may really have this intense impact on relationships and may result in relationships breaking down or being uh, very uh, conflictual or difficult or being lost altogether. And so we'll be mostly focusing on those negative ones, but it's important. And when we track our own judgments, it's actually we may notice the positive ones as well. It's quite interesting. We'll, t- we'll go more into that uh, you know, later, later in the retreat. So the, the way I'm defining, the way we're defining judgmental mind is that it's some kind of noticing or observation typically linked with reactivity. And it can take a lot of different forms. Essentially, it's that way that the judgments are uh, a kind of um, mix of those two elements that makes them workable. Because it's possible to transform the reactivity and make use of the noticing or the discernment for ultimately compassionate purposes. I may notice something about the other person and if I can work through my own judgments or if I, over time, can transform my own tendencies to be judgmental, when I see that person at the party who I used to describe as obnoxious, I may come more out of compassion. I'll see the same thing, in a sense. I see the same behavior. And it's uh, a lot of the uh, resources of the retreat, the aim, of, the aim of them is to help us to be able to go more deeply into the judgmental mind, into judgments, and find the roots of the reactivity and transform them. And so it's that nature of judgments as being complex that also makes them workable. That's interesting. You know, it's very interesting. So judgments are not at all a fate. And in fact, there are the, the idea uh, that's conveyed by, by that is that there actually can be uh, intelligence and riches in the judgmental mind. That if we simply get rid of the judgmental mind or try to, Actually, we can't do that very, very well because every time we do that, what are we doing? Narcissism. What? Narcissism. Yeah, it could be, but we're... Judging. Yeah, we're judging. Guess what? We're judging the judgments. We're judging the judging mind. We're judging ourselves for being judgmental. 
And the humor is very helpful for <laughs> for our retreat. You know, we want to we want to uh, we want to really work with uh, humor at the right in the right ways at the right times. But it, 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 that quality of lightness and really there is a tremendous amount of humor about judgments. It's humorous that we could be judgmental about judgments as as a way we think of getting rid of being judgmental. There's some humor there. <laughs> You know, and so that's that's helpful. You know, as long as it's again, as long as it's just laughing with us rather than at us, as as we say. So, what are some what are some examples of judgments? Just to give some examples, we were talking about just judgments that you might have found today in your practice. You know, uh, that this first day, uh, as I mentioned last time. Uh, it was last time, uh, I think, at the end of the, the metta. Uh, the first day in all retreats, even for quite experienced people, is typically challenging. You know, and if we've come from being sleep-deprived or being really, really busy or having, if we have in our in recent past some difficult experiences and we maybe, uh, maybe haven't done a retreat for a while, uh, we will find all sorts of challenges, right? We will find all sorts of challenges. We will sometimes take a while to be physically comfortable. We will uh, sometimes be sleepy. How many of us were sleepy during the day, during the sittings, okay? Oh, wow. That's almost 100%. Yeah, right. How many of us uh, had some challenges in being physically comfortable? Okay. So quite a number. How many of us had very active minds at times? Okay, so these are the, the, I'm asking from an old ancient Buddhist compilation of the ways that, <laughs> the ways that practice is difficult and we, we can actually pinpoint them. How many had uh, some moments of being judgmental about yourself or others? <laughs> Okay, so okay, so just to acknowledge the the common humanity, the normality of all of this. So it's a challenging day, and we may have had judgments. You know, I shouldn't be so sleepy. Anyone have the judgment? I shouldn't be so sleepy, or, or we might have the judgment. Uh, um, what uh, I'm uh, judging myself for not met being a better meditator today. I want, I, don't, I wasn't going to ask for hands on that. <laughs> yeah. So we can judge ourselves. We may judge others. We may, we may, let's just assume that two-thirds or more of the group raises their hands and maybe the other one-third would raise hands given another five seconds. <laughs> right. So we, we might be judging others in different ways. And how many might have judged another person? And then you might judge yourself for judging others, right? <laughs> and then you might judge yourself for how many judgments there are, right? This, this is especially something really to track when we're doing judgment work, that uh, when we start attuning to, to the judgmental mind and how many judgments there are, it's surprising often how many there are. And it's very crucial to notice that the, that the statement, there are so many judgments expressed in a judgmental way, is itself a judgment. I sometimes call it a stealth judgment because it goes under the radar. It's like, okay, I'm just commenting truthfully about judgments. I'm not a judgment myself. <laughs> right. so, and so in that, you know, in that uh, humorous uh, maybe uh, characterization of that kind of judgment, we see some of the nature of the judgmental mind. It actually presents itself in our minds as simply being the truth, right? Typically, it just says, you can't argue with me. I'm just expressing the truth, you know? And it often manifests as that, and it actually is almost impossible to have a winning argument with the judgmental mind. Because it simply presents it, so we want to use other strategies, basically. I would not encourage you to have this protracted rational argument with your judgmental mind. 
Yeah. But we want to use other tools. So it often comes as just stating, stating the truth. And so we want to track that. So we might, uh, we might think of other kinds of judgments from our experience, you know, all sorts. You know, we can um, judge others for various reasons. You know, we can, of course, look to our close relationships, family, partners, co-workers, and find all sorts of ways that the judgmental mind manifests. You know, we may be, many, many people who come to meditation retreats are often judged by family members as being overly sensitive. Is anyone an overly sensitive one? <laughs> I've been sometimes judged that way. And probably many of us, you know, have been, have been judged. Uh, or we might simply have the habit when a problem arises, we may have the tendency simply to judge the other person as wrong. Or we might have the tendency when something doesn't go well in a relationship, we may tend to judge ourselves as wrong. We may say, something hasn't gone well, it's clearly my fault. And that may be a protracted pattern. And we, we, want, to, we want to be noticed that. The judgments can occur in all sorts of ways. We can be at a light and the person in front of me is on the cell phone and I go through the light three seconds later than I would otherwise and judge the person extremely harshly for being on the cell phone. You know, or um, we might uh, judge all sorts of people. We judge political figures. Anyone ever judged a political figure? That's okay. <laughs> so the comment that not all of you may have heard was judging political figures is okay. It, it doesn't count. doesn't count as a judgment. Well, well, we'll, we'll invite inquiry into that. <laughs> so... All sorts, all sorts of, all sorts of judgments in all sorts of uh, areas, right? And um, and so, what we want to be doing initially is really to start inquiring and seeing when the judgmental mind arises in our own experience. Here at the retreat, uh, we'll have some exercises where we work with some of the judgments that may be uh, strong in our lives. And we want to continually really go into the judgments, to track them, to, to study them in a way. And we use this tool of mindfulness for that. We want to really see judgments. We want to first use the mindfulness to notice when they're there. That's when we use the labeling. We, know, we say, okay, a judgment. And you may be sitting and a judgment may come through and you just label a judgment and it comes and goes quickly. You may be on the uh, food line and uh, the person in front of you, according to your expert um, analysis, is going a little bit too slowly. You know, there are all sorts of ways you know, to be judgmental on retreats. And they're you know, seen carefully. It also can be a basis for humor. But it happens, right? It's just how our mind works, right? And we, we want to track that. We want to see what it's like. We want, to, uh, we want to study the judgments. We want to see what they're like in the body. We will give, be giving uh, very much of an emphasis on knowing how judgments manifest in the body. We want to study our judgments. And we want to particularly use the mindfulness to uh, first notice when judgments are present. And again, we can just use a label. They may come and go quickly. Or if you're online, you make a judgment about someone, just say, just notice judgments. And then if they're around for a while, if we're kind of stewing in a judgment for a while, we want to study and see what it's like in the body, see what it's like in the heart. There's a major part of our transformative work with judgments is simply to see what they are. What are my top ten? to be really familiar, to be really familiar with the judgments, to really study them, feel what they're like in the body, 
this gets, can be quite important. For example, I've noticed with, when I'm in a more judgmental state, my, uh, I'll tend, my chest will tend to cave in a little bit. There'll be tension here. My hands sometimes will be tight. And often, I will, you know, when I'm in the flow of everyday life, I will be able to track those changes in my body and notice them before I notice the thoughts. In other words, they'll come to mind sometimes more quickly. And so it's really important for us to be really experts on how judgments manifest in my experience at the level of body, at the level of the mind. What are the typical stories I tell myself? What are my typical judgmental lines? What are my top 10 or top 20 or top 50? <laughs> you know, and, and I want to also just see what's the emotional energy. Over time, I want to be able to look and see the patterns. What tends to be the stimulus that leads to the judgment arising? And to see if I see some patterns. And I'll talk... I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And so the, these, uh, the judgmental mind, I think, is pretty big in our culture. So there's a very significant cultural piece here. Some of our judgments come from more, <clears throat> a more personal basis, our personal history, our family history, our life experiences. And some of the judgments come from uh, cultural or social dimensions, you know, that they're is that there are a lot of judgments which are carried by the culture. You know, I was thinking of uh, like being at a party and you might be at a party and someone comes up to you and says, uh, what do you do? And it's going to totally depend on the context. And I say, I am an unemployed artist. And if I'm in a certain party, a fellow unemployed artist, they will say, Great, they'll give me positive judgments. Great, you're keeping the faith, right? (laughs) If I'm at a certain kind of family gathering and they say, and someone comes up to me and says, huh, Donald's still being the unemployed artist, huh? Right? And we're getting a strong judgment there. We may get the judgment that, uh, you know, mature people have regular jobs, right? Or something like that. And we may, you know, we may be also at that party and, and may, may ask, uh, you know, are you married? And marriage may be a good thing in some contexts. Again, the context is totally going to be different. And, you know, how many children do you have? And that could be good or bad, right? And there can be all sorts of judgments. There can be judgments about age, about uh, ethnicity, about gender. And those can be often, as we know, quite intense, and they can be very connected with ways that we judge ourselves. And sometimes we have to actually go into the social dimension of judgments in order to transform them. You know, I've had, I've had a group of, um, I have a friend who was in a group of African-American women who did three or four years of work on the theme of internalized depression that they, as African-American women, uh, took in, you know, and I, I was thinking, some of you know, there was a famous study that was done in the 1940s and a little bit in the 1950s in New York by uh, Mamie and uh, Kenneth Clark, who were psychologists. And this was a very important study that became a primary basis for the 1954 uh, Supreme Court ruling, uh, really forbidding, de- forbidding segregated schools. And it was a study. It's the famous study of the young African-American girls with the dolls. But Some of you probably know that study. And it was a study in which girls, four or five years old, were shown a black doll and a white doll. And they were asked, which is the good doll? And rather uniformly, they said, the white doll is the good doll and the black doll is the bad doll. And then they were asked, which doll is like you? And they uniformly said, the black doll is like me. So at that young age, incredible internalized judgment, self-judgment, right? That would take uh, actually immense uh, transformative work to work through in different ways. And so there are those kind of social judgments as well. It can be quite thick. So 
you can see that when we actually go deeply into judgments, we find a lot. And that actually if we have this commitment to transform judgments, it takes us not only to personal transformation, but can take us in the direction of social transformation. Right? Because I think that you know, probably all of us have some dimension of internalized self-judgment that comes from the society. You know, some a lot more than others, but probably all of us do. It's there around all those different dimensions. And the theme of judgments is a very big one in our spiritual practice. You know, it's one that uh, we certainly notice coming up in retreats. It's, probably, it's definitely in the top three in terms of themes. Uh, that we notice on retreats, that it's a very thick issue in this culture. You know, and I, as I think I mentioned earlier, I think it's uh, something like the occupational hazard of individuation, of being an individual in, at this time in evolution. Because we don't find the same, we find other problems and issues, but we don't find exactly the same problems in other cultures. It's quite interesting, you know, and uh, I I mentioned that story uh, of the Dalai Lama last night, really being, having a very hard time understanding the judgmental mind and wanting to study it and saying he needed to study. He studied the manifestations of the judgmental mind for two years in order to better understand Western culture, right? And so I think it's there. It's, uh, it's something I think we have to work with. And it's a, very, it's a very powerful area. I think of it in the context of spiritual practice as being something that's quite important to work through to help us open to spiritual depths. In some ways, it sometimes stands as a kind of a barrier to go more deeply. And so one of the great benefits of working with the judgmental mind is that we really can uh, open up much more fully when we don't have those kind of self-judgments and, and judgments there. It can be a very powerful area and it's also completely rampant in spiritual scenes. You know, that there are a lo- there's, a, there's a lot of unworked, judge- unworked out judgmental mind in spiritual scenes. One one of my favorite stories uh, uh, showing that is a story from Jewish tradition. It's a story of uh, one day at the synagogue. A rabbi felt an intense spiritual fervor. And he went down on the floor of the synagogue and he started shouting as he was prostrating himself, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. At which point the cantor, who is the the singer, also was taken away by religious fervor and got down on the floor of the synagogue and said, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. At which point the uh, shamus, who is like the janitor, also came down, was taken away by religious fervor, went down on the floor of the synagogue and said, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. At which point the rabbi turned to the cantor and says, look who thinks he's nobody. <laughs> look who thinks he's nobody. <laughs> and so we, we, find, we find that theme and it's interesting even though I said that there are aspects of judgmental mind which are, which are contemporary we do find that famous uh, set of lines in the uh, sayings of Jesus you know, where he says uh, do not judge and you will not be judged Right? at least how it's translated they use the, the word judgment because the judgments you give are the judgments you will get, and the amount you measure out is the amount you will be given. Why do you observe the splinter in your brother's eye 
and never, never noticed a plank in your own. <laughs> One of the dynamics of judgment, right? We, we project a lot. We see a lot in others that we don't see in ourselves. How dare you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye. Hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye first and then you will see clearly enough to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Quite powerful, quite powerful. And it's also a very important theme in a lot of psychological work. You know, I was thinking that in, in, the, um, in the psychology of Carl Jung, there's a very powerful statement that is that that which we do not know and recognize in ourself, we will tend to project out into the world where we will encounter it as demonic. I'll say that again. That which we don't really know fully in ourselves, we will tend to project out into the world where we encounter it as demonic. It explains quite a bit of foreign policy. If I can make a little comment there. (laughs) Uh, Not just ours, but many countries. Um, And so it's quite important to have that perspective that the judgments really are quite deep. And yet, when we do this transformative work, we can be taken to see these very deep structures of self, these very deep, uh, often unconscious beliefs which, which generate and drive the judgmental mind. And so when we follow the trail of judgments, we can often go quite deeply, see often unconscious um, structures of self which are organizing our behavior to a large extent, often in ways we are not quite aware of. And so following the trail of judgments can take us into unconscious territory where we can bring the unconscious to the surface where we can transform it. So it's quite... um, quite a trail to follow. It can really help us to go quite deeply and uh, really move more into awakened qualities and away from these very conditioned places uh, of unconscious belief, of unconscious um, and often very negative views of self or views of other that that, uh, in many ways stand in the way of our clear minds and our open hearts. And so how do we transform the judgmental mind? I have mentioned some aspects already, but I think that we work in a few different ways to transform the judgmental mind. We'll we'll talk in more depth about this. Generally, I think we work in two main ways. The first is, and we have a whole set of tools to do this, is that we look at judgments, we're mindful of them, we explore them. We are like detectives looking at judgments to take us into that often unconscious territory to see what is driving these judgments, what's there. And we can often really discover quite uh, these quite deep aspects and work through them and have some of the beliefs and models that drive our chronic judgments, we can see into them and ultimately work through them. And the second main way that we transform judgments is complementary. And that is that we work especially by developing awakened qualities. We, and here we're particularly emphasizing what we call the heart qualities loving-kindness, compassion, joy, forgiveness, gratitude, uh, equanimity. And in a way, we cultivate these qualities of our awakened being. Mindfulness is also, we could say, an awakened quality. We cultivate those more and more, and they both give us the tools that help us to really be with, the, be with the judgmental mind. And they also give us a kind of a balance or a, 
uh, a way of holding what we're finding with compassion and with metta. And it's really, really crucial because a lot of what we find when we look at judgments um, can be painful, particularly the, the, the negative judgments, that it can, it can be quite difficult. We can go into places where we have long-standing negative views of self, where we don't think we're adequate, or we think this aspect of me is not okay, or we may think if I really am who I am, I won't be loved. A lot of that can be behind the judgments, and to go into those can be painful. And so we need to hold, as it were, the journey with these awakened qualities, particularly the heart qualities. You know, if the first kind of way we transform judgments is more about mindfulness, inquiry, and the wisdom quality, the second is especially about holding everything with the kind heart and being able to have that be a kind of balancing factor as we sometimes go into the difficulties. And in the day-to-day practical work of transforming judgments, sometimes we may emphasize more, oh, let me look at that, let me explore that. And sometimes for a period of time we may say, let me just develop that kind heart more. Much like Max was saying earlier in the day, uh, that we can really often just focus on developing the kind heart as a way of just having inner balance enough to be with the hard stuff. We also use the, when the, mindful, when the um, loving kindness or the compassion gets strong enough, it also can be used in the moment when there's a kind of judge, judgment attack. We can use it in that way. We can really uh, work with the judgments in that way. I was thinking to say a little bit about my own story as a way of, as a way of finishing that can, that can illustrate some of that. I think for, for me initially when I was meditating, uh, I was primarily just working with mindfulness. When I was first learning meditation, I would just note judgments. Judgments. A lot of judgments. Judgment. You know, and would be tracking them. It's really a crucial starting point for working with judgments. And then at a, a certain point, and this was what I was talking about earlier, about uh, 15, 16 years ago, I was in a situation where I was uh, working with a, a kind of a boss, a person in authority, and having a meeting with him every two weeks. And I found myself often being judgmental about him. And... I was working with a psychologist at that time who really supported me to take this as inquiry, to really take this process as a way of discovering what was there. And it took time to really see the judgments. Initially, I would just find myself in talking with this person. I would just find myself kind of emotionally withdrawn and judgmental of him. And it took a while of, uh, 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 oh, took a, a while to really see even some of the dynamics, to really notice what was going on. And over time, I could see there was a dynamic there. There was a pattern, which is typically he, I would, we'd be in conversation, we'd be at a meeting, and I would make some kind of suggestion of something that was important. And he would tend, I thought, not to listen and to change the subject. And my observation was buttressed by, supported by other people in the organization who had similar experiences. And um, mutual complaining can sometimes offer insight on judgmental mind. <laughs> it's useful only up to a certain point. And so I, at a certain point, I got to see, oh, there's a dynamic here. I hate, there's a pattern, you know, and I would study it. I would notice it. And I had a lot of opportunities to notice this pattern with this person. And I would notice myself um, suddenly finding myself emotionally distanced from the meeting, from this person, in a withdrawn state 
of uh, um, a very satisfying self-righteousness towards this person. In other words, I would uh, withdraw emotionally into a um, detached state of judgmental self-righteousness, which was, like I say, comforting. And I could see I could see that pattern. Anyone else have that pattern of withdrawing emotionally? <laughs> it's a very common pattern. You know. And again, at the time it was painful and uncomfortable, but 15 years later it seems interesting and a little humorous. But um, and so it took a lot of time to really study that, notice the patterns, and of course I began to notice other times when I thought that person is not really listening to me and I could notice myself being judgmental and reactive. And we all have versions of that. You know, we have versions of that pattern. Um, and so part of the work with judgments is to study our patterns, to start noticing that. Some of them we can do here. A lot of this is really something that we, we can do in our everyday lives. And you know, what, I, what we have found is that this tra- work of transforming the judgmental mind actually takes some time. That's why people stay in some of those groups for three months, six months, some as many as a few years uh, to have that support. And I think many of you know that we are offering the option of a follow-up group after the retreat to continue the work. It may be by telephone, but if you so wish, that we are are going to be offering those possibilities because it really takes that sustained work and, and often takes that support. And someone just reminded you, uh, once a month or once every two weeks. Hey, what about judgments? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. so, so there I was, and I was um, really finding that the, uh, you know, that the judgments were really interesting. I could, was really seeing a lot and really noticing. And over time, I'd be, be, I would go to these meetings, and there were, again, a lot of opportunities to notice this, and I would go to the meetings as if it was a day of retreat. I would, I would do walking meditation. I had to use public transit to go into San Francisco. I would, I would go in. I would do walking meditation. I would say, okay, when those judgments come, when, when he, that happens or that dynamic happens, uh, um, I'm going to do this, you know, and so forth. And uh, I'm going to respond. And over time, became able to really track with mindfulness. And I noticed that, Ultimately, there was, I could, when we track things over time, it, the, it went into slow motion. And I could start to notice there was a moment after maybe the subject was changed where I could notice, oh, that doesn't feel good not to be listened to or to think I'm not listened to. Oh, there's some pain there. And when I could actually touch that pain, I could notice my mind tending to go into judgments, but I had some choice point there. When there was enough awareness to see that process, I could watch the tendency of the judgments to form, but I could say, do I want to go there? And I was also learning some ways to stand in there and maybe say, you know, uh, that point I just made is an important one. I'd like to come back to it. Something like that, you know, which is a non-judgmental way, hopefully, of really, as it were, standing up for myself and engaging, right, rather than withdrawing. So that's part. That's a part that we'll learn later in the retreat. That that uh, aspect of communication, quite important. So I was able to do that, and especially I could feel that aspect of pain, which was quite important. I think I'll tell one more story just to bring that out uh, to to close. But that aspect of feeling that in the not being listened to, there was some pain and that the judgment was in a way uh, incapable of tracking that pain. And I had to do this inquiry to notice it in a way the judgment was covering over the pain. It was something like a defense mechanism. Interestingly, even though it causes so much suffering, it was a kind of defense mechanism. And I explored this in a little more depth a few years later when I was doing a longer retreat. And I was working with um, uh, John Travis, who, and I had just come from a period in which I had, I was, um, had been, I had been doing a lot of work 
and doing a, actually was doing a lot of writing and doing a lot of things that were, but not as many retreats as I would have wanted. And I found myself doing a two-month retreat and judging myself a lot and really tracked the judgments. I was judging myself for not being spiritually adequate. Has anyone ever had that one? <laughs> okay, it it's can be a big one. And it was very harsh, and I won't go into more depth on the story, but what I found myself doing, I, I was given an interesting practice, which was every time there's a judgment, and in fact, even after, um, at the end of a sitting, even inviting judgments that have been there um, earlier in the day or in the period before the retreat. And I, would, I was invited to be it with my heart area when there was a judgment that would like bring the attention from the mind down into the body and just feel what was there. And over time, I started to feel invariably with the large judgments or the small judgments at a retreat, like the judgments about you know, they're serving tacos and it's taking 20 minutes to go through the line. They should really do it better, those cooks, you know. And I would have these, you know, and might be some insight there. And I would actually go into my heart and I would feel, oh, there's some pain there. There's a pain of impatience. And I would invariably find when I would be with a judgment and go into my heart I would find that beneath the judgment, which I was typically not originally aware of, there was some kind of pain. In other words, the pain, the judgments, were a kind of defense against feeling something that was there. And when I actually hung out with what was beneath the judgment, with the pain, the judgments tended to dry up. Now this took time, and with the deeper ones, it can take a lot of time. But there's some, that's part of the way the judgments get transformed. And we need, we go into them, they get transformed because they are driven by pain. That's my hypothesis that I offer to you. And that actually when we can go beneath them <coughs> and touch the pain, we transform the judgments, large or small. And that's why we need the heart practices and the support because a significant part of transforming judgments is going into difficult territory. And there's no, I think there's no way around that. And we need that support by community and the support of these heart practices because also what happens over time as we do the heart practices and do the uh, practices that help us develop more mindfulness, more equanimity, more joy, more compassion, what we call awakened qualities, we actually do a few things. We give ourselves the balance that helps us go into the judgments. And we give ourselves tools that at moments when the judgments attack, as it were, we can say, it's time for loving kindness and compassion to come to the rescue. <laughs> and, and, and it works like that. When the, when the loving kindness and compassion are strong, they come to the rescue and they save us momentarily. <laughs> you know? and they, but they have to be, they have to be practiced for, to have that kind of strength. And they can, you know, when a judgment comes in the middle of the night, the 3 a.m. judgments, anyone ever had those? <laughs> the three, <laughs> no hands went up, but a, a few might be unanimous, right? <laughs> Right. When we have those 3 a.m. judgments and, we, and our metta is strong, it can actually shift the energy. It can really work like that. It has to be strong. We have to be called, that's why we're emphasizing the heart practices so much because they're really needed. And then we can also, we, we develop the heart practices, the awakened qualities, and then ultimately when we spend more and more time in these beautiful states, and that's what we in part hope to do tonight and in the retreat generally. Really, we want to spend more and more time in these beautiful states. We gradually shift our center of gravity. And so some of the changes occur by directly going into judgments. And some of them occur because we shift our center of gravity and we come to see ourselves in a different way. We come to see ourselves more more and more 
as these brilliant, compassionate, interconnected beings. And we know that from the inside more and more. And Heather and I have sometimes reflected, you know, how did, to the extent that we've transformed judgments, which helped more, the direct going into them or this almost this indirect method of, of developing uh, awakened states? And we have to say both. And we don't, I don't know if we know which is more significant, but both are really significant. Sometimes it seems sometimes that the second can be, well, certainly can be very profound. And it's like, it's not like we necessarily defeat the judgments. We actually come to live in a different place. And that helps us to transform the judgments as well. So let me end with uh, two poems that are uh, expressions of these two different aspects of transformation. Let me see if I can find these. Okay. So the first is by Pablo Neruda, uh, the Chilean uh, great poet. And this is about that aspect of being over and over again with the judgments, inquiring, going into it, being willing to go into uh, difficult territory. This is his poem. If each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. Would you like that again? If each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. And then the last poem is by a Spanish poet, Antonio Machado. And this is more about the way that beautiful states arise. Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error that I had a beehive here inside my heart and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error that I had a beehive here inside my heart and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. We'll continue now with our practice, really in support of this transformation, walking meditation, and we'll come back and have a sitting at nine, followed by, uh, or not followed by, but at the end of the sitting, they'll be chanting. And so see, um, See if you wish you could stay sitting a little bit more in here if you want to. Sometimes it's nice to just stay with the energy of a talk. But good to have at least a little bit of time outside. Very beautiful night with the moon and the stars. And we'll come back come back at nine for a short sitting. We might make it a little shorter tonight. I think we'll make it we'll make it a shorter sitting tonight. And we'll we'll end with the, the chanting. So thank you so much for your kind attention and your your being here and your Uh, beautiful, dedicated work today.
We, we know what it's about. So thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.